Hello, beautiful. You are listening to episode 56 of the Africana Woman podcast. Chulu is my name. I'm a writer, self-branding coach, entrepreneur, and mentor. This show is the home of African women's stories. We share ideas, triumphs, challenges, and lessons from our perspective as women. Our library is a step to cementing our place in history. Her story, your story, is powerful. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to all the new listeners and welcome back to the Africana Woman family. Please hit the subscribe button or visit AfricanaWoman.com to become an official Africana Woman visionary. Today, you will hear from Gertrude Kabwazi from Malawi. We discussed the development sector at length. I think I've had a love-hate relationship with development. Because, you know, on the one hand, yes, there are so many good things that have been done, but the dependency syndrome that has been prevalent traditionally is difficult not to point out. Gertrude speaks about the way development has evolved and the impact that is being made around poverty reduction, which is a mammoth problem. Enjoy the conversation. Gertrude Kabwazi has been promoted to Executive Director of Yamba Malawi, bringing more than 27 years of experience as a development practitioner and social justice activist to the role. Her expertise in working with both local and international organizations uniquely positions her to lead the organization, develop community-focused interventions, and activities and serve thousands of children each year. Prior to joining Yamba Malawi in 2019, she worked at Advancing Girls Education in Africa, World Vision International, and Concern Universal, among others. Gertrude holds a Master's in Women's Law from the University of Zimbabwe, a BA in Human and Social Studies with a concentration in Development Studies from the University of South Africa, a a university diploma in journalism from University of Malawi, and a certificate in education policy from the University of Whitewaterstrand, South Africa. Gertrude has been recognized as an African Visionary Fellow with Siegel Family Foundation and a perennial fellow and serves on a number of boards, including the Malawi Union of Academic and Nonfiction Authors, Integrity Platform, World Bicycle Relief Buffalo Bicycles, Women and Law in Southern Africa, Coalition of Women Living with HIV and AIDS, and Concerned Youth Organization. I am so excited to welcome Gertrude to the Africana Woman Podcast. Welcome and thank you so much for taking time to be here. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me here. Congratulations on your new promotion and your new position. How are you feeling about that? Ah, feeling it's a mixed bag, feeling very excited, but also, you know, um, kind of normal, normal in the sense that um, it has been a progressive journey uh, for me to grow into leadership. I must start by sharing that I started my work as um, a receptionist some years back. And then I did um, journalism, communications. And then in between to this date when I have been appointed executive director, 
I think there was a lot of learning uh, on leadership and that kind of helped me and to get me grounded. Um, when this position came, it kind of helped me to sort of realize that it's not a position of power, but it's a position of influence. That is so interesting. So I'm going to dig a little bit deep, deeper into getting to know you as a person. Um, could you share with us what is your favorite childhood memory? My favorite childhood memory would be where I would sit with my mom. My mom uh, has never been to school. She doesn't know how to read and write, but uh, she's um, very rich when it comes to wisdom. So she would sit with us after, um, you know, the evening meal, sit with us and tell us, you know, the folk tales. And those folk tales kind of generated a lot of imagination in my head. And um, I guess that's where I started building my analytical skills as well. So because most of the stories, they would leave you with a lot of, you know, in, either in suspense or the stories, the way they were told, they were told in such a way that you imagined yourself as part of the story, in, you know, being part of the cast, so to say. <laughs> so um, that in itself has uh, been a treasure up to date because most of the things that, she told me, and I learned through those kinds of uh, sessions, uh, the principles and the values are the ones that I use even in my leadership uh, role. So I treasure that. I remember that. Uh, and I always look back and say, um, you may not necessarily be educated, but you are also relevant in so many ways. So those are the beautiful memories I have. Uh, growing up. I mean, there are a lot of also other memories, but that is comes as a highlight for me. That's beautiful. So you've come a long way. And it's interesting because I, I think one of my first jobs was also as a receptionist. And so what when you were starting out in your career, what was your vision for your life? What, what in like, were you thinking about, oh, in the next five years, I want to be executive director? What, what was happening? At the beginning, like growing up, you know, in our times, we grew up, you know, the issue of role modeling, you know, goal setting, I would say they are relatively new in our society. It's just now that our daughters are privileged to have such kind of a, uh, reflection, you know, reflective moments where they would think, I want to be so and so. Uh, you'd be surprised. I wanted to be a policewoman growing up. Uh, because I used to admire the uniform. I used to like, you know, seeing them on the road. Uh, and I, I ever wanted to wear that uniform and be a policewoman. But as time went by and I also, you know, got exposed to different kind of opportunities. Then my career, you know, um, aspirations kind of changed. So I started like pursuing the path. I wanted to be a journalist uh, and I started journalism, by the way. So I did mass media uh, studies. And then my first job was actually my first proper, proper job. The receptionist uh, position was temporary. It was only for a few months. But my first proper, proper job was uh, uh, communications in a communications uh, position. So that's how I started doing my work. And having worked in um, NGO, like saving an NGO, so that's where it kind of opened 
uh, a lot of thinking, a lot of, you know, um, you know, like questions on how I, where I want to be. Um, because I, I look at the opportunities, the women in, in the organization where I worked, uh, but also just understanding the problems in the development sector. It made me feel like I needed to do more so that I should save better. So more meaning education wise, but also knowledge wise, just general knowledge about the sector. So I tried hard uh, in my own way to do studies that were very related to um, the sector that I was in, but also um, the experience that I acquired uh, working in different organizations. So far, I have worked for eight organizations uh, in the sector, both international and local. So that experience has helped to build, to mold me, uh, you know, into, you know, uh, better positioning myself to sort of uh, rise, you know, slowly and become, you know, the executive director. Are there, is there anyone or are there any people that have been um, key in helping um, mold you and mentor you on the the journey that you've been on? Yes. Um, as I said, uh, the role modeling concept was not common when we were growing up. However, there were always people we admired. Like uh, in my secondary school days, no, before my secondary school days, I would say just this one is a funny one. Uh, when I was in primary school, I wanted uh, to get educated because I wanted to buy the whole chicken for myself. Growing up in a household that ten, had 10 children, when we were eating together, you know, the African way of eating, sitting around the plates and eating all of you together, you know, sometimes it was very hard to really hustle through the plates and get the best from, from, from the meal. So it always ever left me wanting more. So growing up, uh, my younger self, I always told myself, I need to get educated. I need to find a job. And when I get paid, I'll buy myself the whole chicken and I'm going to eat it. Surprisingly, I haven't done that. So coming back to the role modeling, now going into secondary school, that's when I started admiring one of my teachers. She was very, you know, well-groomed. She had her game. I thought she had her game. She understood so many things. I always admired how she was knowledgeable and how she kept her game right in terms of like just being on top of her life. So I, I also admired how independent she was, being educated, uh, you know, living in her own house and in, to be in control of her life. I felt like, wow, I want, I want to be like that. I really want to be that woman. And I kind of grew very close to her uh, to the point that even when I left secondary school, even when she left teaching, we still continued to talk to each other. And uh, she still continued to talk into my, uh, you know, my potential, my, my aspirations. Uh, up to date, we are still in touch, and uh, she has also progressed very well. She's now based in uh, the U.S. She works for the World Bank, so uh, she has been very instrumental. I must say, there were times that I just felt like you know I was not making much progress. Life was not really happening. She wrote to me a lot of letters, which I still keep up to date. Uh, you know, encouraging me not to give up, but also to keep fighting, to keep looking up. And, uh, you know, pursuing my dreams. So I would say that 
uh, teacher of mine, the female, female teacher was a great inspiration in my life. But of course, there were other people around who also came in as a one-time, one-time boosters here and there. So I love that story. It's um, very inspirational. And I love the way that you have both grown and um, continue to be in contact and continue to support each other and lift each other as you're going. And that for me is phenomenal. Now in the, the work that you do as a development practitioner, what is your focus and why have you chosen to focus in this area? As a development practitioner, I always regard this sector as um, slightly different from other sectors uh, in a sense that you get to meet people in their most vulnerable, uh, you know, situations or, uh, you know, you, have, you get to see people from the other side of uh, life that people don't normally report on. Choosing to work in this sector, it's because I've always wanted to impact people in a different way. I know other people, you know, people who work in the bank, they also have a way of impacting people. But I feel like the work that we do in the development sector is much more deeper. And we get to, you know, cry with the people, we laugh with the people, we dance with the people. In between, we are changing their stories as well. Because we are looking at their issues uh, for instance, if they have uh, an issue to do with um, food security, we are trying to find ways of like, how do we make sure that this household, this family, this mother, this child has um, food uh, that is adequate, but also nutritious. So to make sure that we are promoting inclusivity uh, in the work that we do, because, you know, there's that divide between the rich and the poor, the haves and the have nots. So this kind of work tries to, you know, bridge in that gap. Yeah, we have, um, the 27 years, I must say, have taught me quite a lot of things. Uh, one, um, it's uh, taught me that it's very possible. Uh, it just takes a lot of commitment to change somebody's story. Uh, but it has also taught me how, uh, you know, um, how, you know, resources are out there, but there's also Poverty that is shocking uh, because people are not willing to come in between to assist. So uh, choosing this sector, uh, it's something that I feel like it's fulfilling. It's also rewarding because when I go to bed every night, I think about all the people that I have managed to change their stories. I feel like I've conquered the world because that way I just feel like I have this purpose, I have... Um, uh, this work that I have done, you know, differently, other than just maybe looking after my own needs and looking after my children's needs or my siblings' needs. I have uh, worked with people that I don't know that I should work with and change their stories. So as, as, as executive director, do you um, have the opportunity to, um, to be in the field, to have your, you know, to go out and meet the people or is it very administrative and now, you know, you have, yeah, yeah, you're sending other people out. It's everything. It's everything because you also, you also need time and again to go and see people on the ground to still connect because otherwise if you disconnect, you'll be operating from a front that is, uh, uh, you know, that is not really, relevant to the work that you're doing. So time and again, you have to reconnect, reconnect, to keep 
the uh, essence or the relevance of what you're doing uh, alive. So all the time you really need to, uh, you know, get into this space to go out there to understand what is happening, to sort of also see what is, uh, what your team is doing and how they are responding, just to encourage them as well, uh, as people who are doing a great job, but also to get to, uh, meet the communities because it's very exciting to talk to the communities, but also to be with the communities, as I said. So um, it's important that you it continues and you continuously do that uh, as part of your work. So, yes, I do go out there in the communities. That has not stopped. I still have to go out there. I still have to know the names of the children that we save in what households that we are saving. Uh, because when I sit on my desk, I'm thinking about Mary that I'm working for. Uh, you know, John that I'm working for. So that to me gives me a reminder all the time to make sure that whatever I'm doing, uh, I'm doing it diligently, but I'm also committed, but I'm also uh, fighting for the rights of the children that we are saving. So when this position came open, why, why did you um, throw your hat in the ring? <laughs> like what about Yamba Malawi was attractive for you because I, I see here you were working with advancing girls education in Africa so what was attractive about this role and this organization I had been working for um, the organization that focused on girls education previously and um I enjoyed my work. I love my work because, you know, uh, generally I'm just um, a girl child, a girl's education advocate. So it just came organically. Um, when Yamba Malawi put this job for grabs for like this position for like people to apply, I felt like I needed to do something different, something different in the sense because they were talking about children, younger children. And uh, for me, it got me excited because, yes, we were dealing with uh, uh, girls, but half the time we would have challenges with, uh, you know, parents getting committed and getting, uh, you know, interest in their children's affairs. You know, you'd find that a lot of kids, a lot of young women, for instance, they'll be selected to go to secondary school, but their parents would say, I do not have these. I do not have anything to send this child to school. I do appreciate and understand that we are living in, in, uh, in communities where people are, are poor, but education should not be an accident. It should be a planned thing. So Yamba Malawi, its philosophies, its uh, approaches, uh, it works on building the capacity of the households, building the capacity of communities, in preparation for the children's futures. So for me, that kind of excited me to say, yes, I would like, now that I have worked here, but I would also want to deal with the foundational issues because uh, we are looking at how do we make sure that the parent is invested in the child from the onset. And when I'm talking about invested, I'm not just talking about money but also realizing the worth of the child, including the girl child. How do the parents, you know, regard or include the girl child in their planning, their life, everything? You know, I don't know how it is in Zambia, but I have grown here in Malawi. It's uh, Sometimes when the people grow up in the village, it's like children and their parents, they don't interact with some intimacy, like 
some bonding kind of a, a relationship. Uh, you don't get to sit down with your mom uh, and talk about, you know, very intimate stuff, even about coming of age, menstruation issues. You get to learn about these issues from elsewhere, maybe from friends. If you are privileged, if you are lucky, maybe some elders of the you know village would come and tell you about one or two three things. But now with Yamba Malawi, we are, we are trying to change the narrative to say the first primary caregiver should be the parent or the caregiver or the or the auntie who is looking after this child at household level because that's where you know a lot of opportunities are from the way it go so we they need to be interested from with the child from when they were like from zero to 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 as long as they are, they are a child so we are working on that as Yamba Malawi, where we are focusing on, um, you know, ensuring that the parents understand their responsibilities, but also they are investing themselves in those responsibilities, including uh, the economic, you know, aspect of uh, the financial aspect of their responsibilities. How do I make sure that my child is not sleeping hungry? I must generate income. And if I'm generating that income, this child is growing. Their needs are also progressing. How do I make sure that I save for the child's needs in future? For instance, education. So we also teach them or we also support them with skills that that, um, help them to make savings. So they learn about saving. That's the financial literacy aspect of our programming. They also uh, learn about child well-being. We have a curriculum. Uh, an early childhood development curriculum, which is uh, integrating indigenous knowledge. And by the way, we are the only organization in Malawi that is really doing that, in integrating indigenous knowledge uh, in the ECD frameworks. The reason is we believe that the communities are rich when it comes to knowledge and skills on child uh, well-being. What needs to do, what we need to do is to tap into those, uh, into that knowledge and, and, and you know, those resources to blending it together with the, you know, the conventional frameworks to make sure that, you know, we are doing it better. You know, people learn better when they learn from what they know. Yeah. And then build with knowledge that is coming in from outside. Uh, so we integrate that, you know, like for instance, when we talk about indigenous knowledge, it's very simple, basic things that happen around, uh, you know, the houses, the households, simple things like folk tales I've talked about here. You know, uh, how, you know, parents spend time to talk to their children, you know, telling them stories. You know, that's cognitive, cognitive like, uh, you know, issue where kids begin to sort of, uh, imagine things. They work on their imagination. They become creative. You know, they also become very, you know, uh, analytical. Like I said about myself. Um, these things that will help you as you grow up and, um, and as you also advance your, your life. But not only that, there are some things that some practices that will put the baby on the back, sing songs to them when they are crying, when they are like, uh, they want to sleep, we, we are take, we are putting them to sleep through songs and, you know, uh, and stuff. That is, those practices are very good because, you know, they help uh, bonding, uh, the parents to bond with their children. We want them to know that this is a special something that should not be taken for granted because it's helping them to sort of put the baby to sleep, but also the baby to feel comfortable, to feel secure, to feel safe that my mom or my parent is taking care of me and I'm, I'm okay 
you know, yeah, things like those. So uh, that's the indigenous knowledge, knowledge aspect that we are like promoting, but also advancing through the way that we're doing. So generally, um, it's um, the focus on children now, like foundational issues that kind of excited me about Yamba Malawi. And again, because they were looking at how do we eliminate, how do we eradicate poverty? For me, that's critical. We can provide school scholarships for girls, but as long as that household still struggles with uh, poverty, because for instance, if a household has six children, yeah, and you've only taken one child and put them on scholarship, what will happen to the five children? Definitely they will struggle. But if you empower the household with um, the necessary skills and knowledge for them to generate income, then definitely you are empowering uh, the household for every child needs, to address every child needs in, the, in that household. I'm not saying the scholarships are bad, but all I'm saying is we have to deal with this issue uh, fundamentally not just address it superficially in a way that we are doing, most of organizations are doing now. We provide scholarships, yes, but as I said, there are many people who need these scholarships. For how long and how far are we going to go to give those scholarships? We need to empower these people to fish for themselves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you brought up um, how people um, you know, give scholarships and they say, you know, we're giving this one person knowing that there's going to be a trickle down effect of this child being able to, you know, assist their family or the community and so on and so forth. And then it also brings in different discussions like um, black tax. Then you also think about when you talk about financial literacy, because it's one thing to educate a child, but everyone assumes that someone else is going to educate that child about financial literacy. When they go to high school, they don't get that knowledge. When they go to university, even the university doesn't teach them how to manage these, you know, their finances. So they could have a fantastic job, but in reality, they're in so much debt. They're in so much um, financial financial pressure that they're not even able to help the people who are saying that it's going to disseminate down to. Um, and that's, yeah, that's sorry. My mind went in that direction when you were talking. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I just find that um, to be able to look at it as a whole, as a looking at the root problem and being able to say, how do we help the whole family? And um, I think it's the saying yeah, when like give a man a, a fish, then it doesn't really help them. I'm paraphrasing. But then when you teach them how to fish, then you're actually helping them in the long run. Um, I think that's, that's t the type of work that you are doing. And that's very commendable. Now, when you are, tackling an issue like poverty, poverty which has been around for so many centuries, what advice would you give to somebody who is thinking about getting, um, you know, starting a career in development issues, but then they're discouraged to say, has there actually been progress in, in, you know, making sure that poverty is reduced in our countries, in our communities, in our rural areas? And, you know, they're not really seeing that progress. What would you say to encourage them? For sure. There is change. We have seen stories, there's evidence, honestly, there's evidence, both anecdotal and empirical evidence that shows us that 
poverty um, is being dealt with. However, because poverty is multidimensional, it's an issue that is really multifaceted. So sometimes the gains that we have made are overshadowed by uh, the losses that we still continue to count. But surely organizations like Yamba Malawi, I must say, we celebrate and we, we have seen the evidence of uh, people really being empowered, being brought out of uh, their impoverished uh, you know, state to become more independent and uh, generate their own income at household level. Um, however, you also have to understand that poverty is a deep-rooted uh, issue. And it requires, you know, different approaches, much pronged approaches to sort of deal with it. And it's not going to vanish overnight, uh, like the way people would imagine it, it will be. Because you have to deal with the layers. You have to deal with it from different, you know, sides and, you know, different fronts. So although the gains might not seem like they are gains, uh, because people are like looking at it from, you know, different angles, as I have said, there is a uh, good progress. There is good progress. However, I would also be quick to say that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. So people should not be discouraged by, uh, what has not, uh, or what they see as, uh, still the struggle that is there. I'll give you a story. You know, there's somebody in my area years of uh, development work. She, he, he told us about a story about starfish being washed ashore, like washed by, you know, the waves to, to on the beach. So there was a man from, from the hood who started like putting one starfish back into the water. And there were millions of starfish, like lots of them. And somebody came and said, do you think this is even worth it? Considering that there are millions of these, uh, you know, the starfish, and uh, it's not it's not going to be possible for you to put each one of them back in the water. He said, the fact that I have managed to put one back in the water, that's an achievement. And I must celebrate that. The few that are going to go back in the water, they'll be saved and they'll survive. And that's the story that I want to tell right now. So... Uh, in that regard, people should not be discouraged to, uh, by, you know, the perceived lack of progress. And also, you also have to understand that poverty is also highly politicized sometimes. Yeah. Uh, even when the gains are being made, um, sometimes people don't want to talk about the gains. Uh, we love to talk about, uh, you know, the losses more. But organizations like ours, we want to highlight the gains that we have made to make sure that not only we celebrate, but even the communities must see themselves. You know, they must see themselves, the progress that they're making for themselves. So we want to highlight that. We want to highlight the change that we're making, not for anybody else, but for the communities themselves to sort of see themselves and uh, celebrate themselves. So... The work is, I would encourage everyone to join in because, you know, this vineyard, the, the, the garden is big. We need more workers. We need more people to come in. And it's not only people who are going to roll up their sleeves and do the work. Every career, every, you know, um, you know, what can I say? Um, skill and expertise is required 
especially now that the world is becoming more sophisticated, we also need to have to begin to deal with these issues using and tapping into those resources to enable us to deal with poverty in a way that is progressive. So we've made progress. We have made progress. I see, like for instance, I will tell you what, for the past few years where I have worked in this sector, I remember people that I have seen like coming from a household that, for instance, they didn't have school fees. They have graduated as medical doctors. Isn't that evidence enough that we are changing the world? Isn't that evidence enough that we are changing the poverty phase? Yeah, so all of that really for me is uh, evidence that we have impact. It might be not what people are expecting. And as I said, it's not easy to deal with this uh, deep-rooted and uh, long-standing uh, kind of uh, issues uh, because poverty is a pandemic. So it's not easy to deal with it. Thank you for those encouraging words and also the stories of evidence. I think the stories really give us hope. And um, I think they also just show how much can be done um, with impacting, you know, even if it's one life. So I think that's very important. Can I add something like part of the evidence? Like I, I just wanted to bring uh, to uh, the attention of uh, the people that as Yamba Malawi, we have the evidence. Like when we start working with the communities, we find that sometimes the children are eating once a day and sometimes they would go without food at all. When we start working with them, the parents now, the households can afford three meals a day, nutritious meals. And uh, we have seen, you know, such households increase they have doubled. We also saw that number of children going to school when we started working with the communities was low. Now that number has more than doubled. Yeah. We also seen, have seen that incomes in those households. When we started with them, working with them, uh, they would be at maybe $73 a year. Now that has increased. They can afford to have money in the household. They can have, afford to have that money and do whatever, meet their ch- children's needs in whatever way. So there is the evidence. We are doing, we are changing, you know, the stories of so many children through the work that we're doing at Yamba Malawi. And there's the whole lot of evidence that is there. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so all good things must come to an end. Please share with us how people can find out more about you, about the work you're doing, and how can they support Yamba Malawi? So they can find out more about me from, uh, I can share my email address. My email address is gkabwazi um, at yambamalawi.org. R-I-G. I'll say it again. Um, G Kabazi at Yamba Malawi, as in one, one word, dot O-R-I-G. In terms of the work that we do, they can also check on our website. It's www.yambamalawi.org. It is www.yambamalawi.org. We also have a 
Twitter, but also have a Facebook page. They can also check us out on all those platforms. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to um, speak to the Africana woman community. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I wish you all the best in this new role that you have taken up. And I, I mean, just listening to you today, I truly admire the work that you're doing. And thank you again for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for also taking time to chat with me, but learn also about the work that we are doing. Thank you. My top three takeaways from this conversation were one, be intentional about celebrating wins. Like Gertrude said, it's easy to always be moaning and crying about what is wrong. But when you celebrate the gains, it gives you a push to keep going. Number two, indigenous knowledge has value and it is our responsibility to point that out and then improve on them. Then number three, address a problem from the root and not be content with just putting a bandage on it. So your homework for this week, one (laughs) with the numbers this week, right? So the first thing I'd love you to do is identify the areas of your life that you're always talking negatively about. It could be a wayward child, a difficult partner, a toxic job, whatever that is for you, write it down. Then I want you for the next two weeks, I want you to find at least one nice thing to say about it every single day. So whatever you've identified as the areas that you speak negatively about, say something nice about it. Now, I always recommend journaling, but if you just say it out loud, that's fine too. The last thing I'd like you to do when the two weeks are up, I want you to begin to notice how your attitude changes. Maybe it doesn't change. I don't know. Let me know. (laughs) So, you know, in the Africana Women Visionaries community, we have a book club. This month, we read The Secret Lives of Babasegi's Wives. Ooh, child, scandalous. (laughs) The beauty about art is that it opens the doors for thoughts, feelings, conversations, and reflections that you might not have dared to have. During the book review... We really had a heart-to-heart about the themes of the book, such as sexual pleasure for a woman in an African setting, or how to protect your young children in the event of your death. I know, they're not comfortable conversations, yet so important. And they're done in a safe space, and the space is (sighs) judgment-free, you know? And I think that is the true essence of the Africana Women Visionaries community. Um, It's a safe space to convene and give voice to what is in your heart. There are many ways that you can get involved, like joining the book club or attending our first ever retreat, get more information, and you can participate in our networking events, which are completely unique and energizing, something that you've never experienced before. So come over. You can go to AfricanaWoman.com or find us on Facebook or LinkedIn at Africana Woman Visionaries. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. So in this community, we love to give people their roses every chance we get, which means go find Gertrude Kabwazi. Tell her thank you and what you learned from this episode. 
Y'all know my playground is Instagram. Find me at Chulu by Design. Tag me, tell your friends about the Africana Woman podcast, and let me know what you took away from this episode. Talk to you soon. This has been a production of Africana Woman Media. Mm-hmm.